0: welcome folks it's really good to see you i'm absolutely delighted thank you this feels like busier than ever and i was worried after two weeks break that maybe you'd forget about us i've missed you i've missed this, I've missed church at the Barney. You're really welcome. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you're all here. Every one of you, I'm delighted that you're here. I just I want to just open with a wee prayer of, of my own, if that's okay. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in this place tonight. Father God, I pray that all the glory would go to you and that you would present yourself here by your grace, that you would speak words of truth that would glorify and honour you. Father, we want to. To know more of you, we want to experience what it's like to be in that imminent presence, the very intimate presence of our loving Father God. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you became man that we might know God. We thank you that you became flesh that we might know and experience the love of God for ourselves. In spirit, I pray that tonight you would, you would speak, that you would work in people's hearts and lives, that you would counsel, that you would convict, that you would make clear God's word to each one of us, that our Father might be glorified in his name. Amen. So as Jane says, tonight we embark on a whole new teaching series For the new year, and I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a great series. It's going to take us a while. Uh, It'll take us right up to summer, in fact, right up to the end of June. And we're only going through the first eight or nine chapters of Acts, these early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles. Essentially, we're going to look at the very beginnings of the church, particularly at Peter's ministry and teaching and the way that the church was built up and the way that the church was led in those early days. You see, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter preached boldly and performed many miracles. Peter's actions demonstrate the power of God, a power that is available to all Christians and to every church to fulfill the mission God has set before us, the tasks (laughs) that God has given us to do, to bring hope and healing to bring truth and grace into our community and into people's lives. Because the Holy Spirit is still available to us today to empower us, to counsel and convict, to guide and to encourage us, to make us brave, to embolden us even. Holy Spirit gives us insight and strength both to pursue God and his will together and to accomplish it. To actually bring it to to pass. Now there are two really great reasons for studying and teaching through these early chapters of Acts. I'm sure there's more than two, but there's two that occurred to me that we should be looking at this in the first part of 2020. Firstly, as a new-ish now church, my hope is that we will be inspired as a people of God together to grow Uh, inspired by the growth of that new church, of the church. And secondly, I'm delighted that we're looking at the church in a particular local context. There's a reason why we're only doing at the moment these early chapters of Acts, because it's not Paul's incredible, great missionary journeys, travelling across the continent, travelling across seas, sharing the gospel in new cultures to Gentiles what we're going to learn about is the establishment of the church within that local culture, which Peter and John and the others who led the church in Jerusalem knew and understood. And from that reason, from that point of view, it's very like our situation here. I think it applies very well to where we are here in Church at the Barony and here in Boness. And as the weeks go on, we'll see how the, these early church leaders, those uh, Great fathers of of the the, the Christian church deal with the demands and the joys of establishing a new church. The decisions that are made, the sudden unexpected challenges that they face, the struggles that they have. And we will have a focus throughout these weeks on the, the work of the Spirit and how Spirit works in and through them in particular, empowering and guiding them. We'll begin to see the rhythms that they have of gathering together, of prayer, fellowship, and of teaching. And we'll see how Spirit gives them wisdom and insight. We'll see how the early church cared for one another and taught and discipled new Christians without even having a New Testament to teach from. We'll see the struggle as the church worked to find out its identity, firmly rooted as they were in Judaism but with a completely new structure, with new doctrines and new practices, a new faith, a new covenant, but with that long shadow of Judaism where all their identity was previously influencing them. It's quite a big change for them. All their identity was as a nation, a Jewish nation, and now they are people who are followers of Jesus, individually, individually, in a personal relationship with God through Jesus. It's quite a big change in how you see yourself and how you see your identity. Acts was written by Luke, by Dr. Luke, the same guy that wrote the gospel that carries his name, and it's very much a sequel. It carries right on from where the gospel left off. The big difference, though, is that at some point in Acts, Luke becomes a first-hand witness to the things that he's writing about. Now it's not very clear when Luke becomes a Christian and decides to follow Jesus. But later in Acts and in other letters that Paul writes, Luke is named as a fellow missionary and worker. So he's involved. Luke is directly involved at some point. Unlike the Gospel, which it's believed was based on these extensive interviews that Luke undertook, listening to the recollections of the people who were there, particularly Mary, Jesus' mother, Acts is Luke recording an almost contemporary history. This is it as it's happening, month by month, season by season, as the church grows and Luke records the significant events. I like to think maybe, perhaps, Luke was one of the thousands of people saved in the very early days of the church. We don't know when Luke was saved, but I like to think that maybe it was then because he seems to know what's going on right from the very start of the Acts of the Apostles. Let's dive into Scripture now as we read through Acts chapter 1, titled by Tom Wright. Here comes the sequel. (laughs) Dear Theophilus, the previous book which I wrote had to do with everything Jesus began to do and teach. I took the story as far as the day when he was taken up once he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to his chosen apostles. He showed himself to them alive after his suffering by many proofs. He was seen by them for 40 days, during which he spoke about God's kingdom. As they were having a meal together, he told them not to go away from Jerusalem, but to wait, as he put it, for the Father's promise which I was telling you about earlier. John baptized with water, you see, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles came together, they put this question to Jesus. Master, they said, is this the time when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not your business to know about times and dates, he replied. The Father has placed all that under his own direct authority. What will happen, though, is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And as Jesus said this, he was lifted up while they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. They were gazing into heaven as he disappeared. Then lo and behold, two men appeared, dressed in white, standing beside them. Galileans, they said, why are you standing here, staring into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Amen. This is a passage that is full of promise. As we go through these early chapters of Acts each week, we will see God fulfilling promise after promise as God builds his church, both spiritually and as the followers of Jesus grow in wisdom and understanding, but numerically as God reveals his love and grace to thousands and draws them into his kingdom. Luke kicks off Acts exactly when his gospel left off, written to the same person, Theophilus, who we think was probably a patron, someone who commissioned Luke, firstly to write the account of Jesus' life and ministry, and then an ongoing account of the church. In the early days of Christianity, it was known as the way. That was kind of the name it was given by the disciples. They spoke about following the way, the way of Christ. The promise and the understanding is that they would follow Jesus' way, his teaching, his actions, and his destiny, and none more so than the first promise that we find here in Acts chapter 1, the promise of our resurrection. You see, Jesus showed himself to be alive by many proofs during his 40 days that he remained with the disciples this is presented by luke in such a matter-of-fact manner it's easy just to pass over how astonishing and revolutionary it is that dead men walking and living among us a dead man walking and living among them eating talking teaching and instructing them consoling and promising and continuing ministry that he started continuing just as Acts continues the Jesus story so Jesus continues to minister and to lead and to love this is incredible news that Jesus in his resurrected body would continue that ministry and so Jesus resurrection is presented in such an established and unquestioned way here because there was never any doubt there was never any doubt about the resurrection of Jesus in the early church. They didn't need convincing. It was just a fact. They had been witnesses, so many of them, had been witnesses to the living Christ, the resurrected Christ. Hundreds of his followers had seen him in his resurrected body. There's no need to argue over whether it's real and true. Because they knew it from a personal experience. I find that very compelling. That Luke just talks about it. Like it's no big deal. And it's a huge deal. You see they understood too. That that promise of resurrection was for them. That as Jesus had been resurrected. So they too would be resurrected. They knew and understood that death had been defeated. That death Held no fear for them. The promise fulfilled already in Christ was that they too would know resurrection. That they too would live forever in harmony and at peace with God. What an astonishing promise. It was while they were eating together and I love that little detail that Paul puts in. While they were eating together I love the fact that there's still lunch after I die. Whilst <laughs> we were eating together, Jesus told them to wait for the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit would come and would come soon. That they were not to leave Jerusalem. I think because God wanted to guide and lead them in every way through his Spirit. They were just to wait. They weren't to go off on their own. They weren't to go off with their own agenda or their own ideas. God wanted that imminent, immediate, intimate presence with them to lead and guide them from the very start. And Jesus reveals a huge truth here. And I think it's important that we grasp it and get our heads around this. That's just my way of saying, you know, listen up, pay attention. This might just be an important bit. You see, Jesus said that John baptized with water but you're going to be baptised with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? John baptised with water, but you're going to be baptised with the Holy Spirit. You see, water baptism was and is symbolic. <coughs> what was merely symbolic to them and pointed to, pointed to a truth <coughs> is about to come real. What was symbolic is about to be actualized. This is the book of Acts. It's not the book of theories. It's not the book of ideas. It's not the book of symbolism. This is acts. And it's very real. And it's very visceral. And it's immediate. It is actual. So when water baptism was symbolic of repentance, of change, of a decision to change, here's spirit. And spirit is going to empower actual change. Are you with me in this? Yeah where water baptism was symbolic of change, so baptism of the Spirit will actualize change. He's going to bring new lives. Spirit is going to bring new ways, new ways of thinking, new ways of understanding. Spirit will bring new revelation. In fact, even more than that, Spirit will make each of us new creations in Jesus. I think that's awesome. What was symbolic will become actual. The disciples then ask Jesus if this is the time that he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus says that it's not their business to know the time and dates, but that God has placed that under his own authority. But I see a promise in this too. It's not for them to know when, but I think Jesus' response is a yes. It is a promise Just not in the way that they had previously hoped or expected. Or even at this point, in their spiritual understanding, in the way they would like to see the kingdom of Israel restored. You see, I have a strong conviction that the kingdom of Israel is being restored. But not in the way that it was. It's nothing like the glory days of King David and victory over the pagans and the heathens. I think that's what the disciples were maybe thinking back on. But Jesus' central message was that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God has come with this period of Jesus' earthly ministry, ushered in with his incarnation, beginning with his ministry of healing and restoration. That kingdom, that kingdom of God is the now but not yet that we live in. It's this period in human history in which we are still and currently living. All of the power of God to see healing and wholeness, but it's not yet complete. It is partial. Satan is defeated. Death is defeated. But the eternal kingdom of God is not yet fully experienced. Sin is still present in each one of our lives. Sin still separates us from the fullness of God, and from knowing his full, unfettered blessing, from living in the fullness of the promise of the kingdom. God's kingdom is now, and not yet. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13, in the famous passage that he writes about (coughs) love like this. Paul says, for at the moment, all that we can see are puzzling reflections in a mirror. Then, face to face, I know in part for now, but then I'll know completely, through and through, even as I am completely known. And we are Israel. We, who are followers of Jesus, we who are those who are part of the new covenant in the blood of Christ, are the chosen people of God. We are those whom God speaks to and through. We are blessed, honoured. Chosen a holy nation, a royal priesthood, the followers of Jesus have become the nation of Israel. Jesus goes on to say that what will happen is that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is his answer to the question of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What an incredible promise! Israel, the nation, never were blessed like this. Never were included in the person of God in the way the followers of Jesus are with the coming of the Holy Spirit. They never experienced being part of the person of God in the way that Christians can when they receive the Holy Spirit, that person of the Trinity. Are you following me with this? This is big stuff. This is big doctrine. These are big ideas. Although marked by God's favor and regarded as his chosen people, God gave Israel the law. That was his message and his method of relating to them and then relating to him. But now, in this now and not yet kingdom, we have the Holy Spirit himself coming upon us to bring us into that intimate and imminent relationship with God. And it is this that makes us. It is this that builds us into the kingdom of God. A people of power and influence. A people marked and chosen by God. Redeemed at a cost and drawn into a covenant, truth and relationship with God. It is in and through us that God is restoring the kingdom of Israel. Not hemmed in by political boundaries and man-made nationalism. But restored as one nation under God. Followers of Jesus all over the world united by love and grace and declaring a god who loves and restores this is the kingdom that god is building and we are the living stones that he is using to build that kingdom jesus then is clear about how we carry out our role within that kingdom what our job is what our mission is what part we are to play And it is beautifully simple and joyous and inclusive of every woman and man and child who knows Jesus. Jesus says simply this, tell people about me. That's all he says we're to do. Tell people about him. Jesus says that we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to tell the people of Bonaise of central Scotland, of the United Kingdom, of Europe, and across the whole world, who he is and what he's done for us. That's all we're to do. Tell people who he is and what he's done for us. Tell our story. Share our experience, our personal experience of Jesus. I love that. I love that for so many reasons. I love its simplicity. I love that we can all do it, I love we can all say, I believe that Jesus is alive because I know I am loved and cared about by him. We can all witness to the reality of the strength that our faith gives us, the way that it, it, it holds us up, the way that it bears us. We can all witness to the strength that we find because we know what it's like to talk to God, to come before him in prayer. We know what a difference that can make in our lives. We can all say that when we talk to Jesus, it helps us in our lives. And I love that it's the same whether we witness to our own family, in our own house, or whether we travel across the globe to take the gospel to the most remote islands on earth. It's just the same thing. I worked alongside folks in St. John's who translated the Bible into languages that were so rare and unknown that they didn't even have a written form. Tribal people who had never written their language down and have got friends who are working with them to give them that, that written form of their language that they might hold in their hands a copy of the New Testament translated into that language for them. A language spoken perhaps by only a few thousand people, but people who need the gospel shared with them in their own mother tongue absolutely incredible. It's amazing work. But what we do here, in this room, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our streets, in our neighbourhoods, is no less amazing and incredible. In fact, when you tell your friends or your work colleagues tomorrow what you did at the weekend, and you say, maybe even a wee bit reluctantly, well, I went to church. That is no less amazing in the eyes of God. That is you carrying out your mission given to you by Jesus to be his witness where you are. That's all you have to do. You say, I was a church. Oh, why would you go to church? Well, it helps me. It strengthens me. I meet with Jesus. I worship God. I have fellowship with other Christians. It builds me up. It purposes me. It assures me. It gives me hope. That's all you have to say. What does it do for you? Why why are you here? Why do you come here? Share that. Tell people what it does for you and what Jesus has done for you. That's you witnessing to Jesus in your life. God bless you for doing it. I used to have what feels now like a very peculiar opinion. Okay, back before I was a pastor, I lacked the understanding of the importance of foreign mission. I couldn't understand why we would spend time and resource sending people to abroad, to that abroad place, to tell folks about Jesus when millions right here on our doorstep don't know him. Millions even in central Scotland don't know him. Surely we'd be more productive using our resources right here in this country. Surely that's better. That needs to be done, surely we should be spending our time and our money doing that before we're sending people thousands of miles away to tell them about Jesus. And then he got the opportunity to go to Rwanda on a mission trip and help build a school and a church in Kigali. And I was, I'll be honest, I was fairly resistant to it at first, until my then-pastor said this to me, he said, you can't reach Jerusalem without witnessing to the ends of the earth. You see, you need to be doing all four. You need to be reaching all four. You need to be at home, you need to be local, you need to be national, you need to be international to be effective. That was a huge lesson for me. Mission in Rwanda helped me so much in witnessing in the local. And it opened doors, locally, and even, to be honest, nationally, the international Informs the national and the local. One cannot be as effective without the other. Jesus knew what he was talking about. One informs and empowers and underpins the other. One does not exist without the other. They're symbiotic outreach, locally, nationally, internationally. They need to happen together. Do you know? Quick pop quiz, (coughs) Church at the Barony. Do you know which country on earth has the most missionaries being sent to it? Which country takes in more missionaries than any other country on earth? Hands up. I think you might have told me. I might have told you. Well, don't answer then. Right. Scotland. Scotland takes in more missionaries than any other country. I wish it was, but it's not. Any China? other... People? China. No, it's not China. Africa. No, not Africa. It not. It's the United States of America. It's America. It's, it's the USA by far. There are hundreds of thousands of missionaries every year that go to the United States. I mean, that's a good gig, isn't it? I don't know why God never called me. That, that's, that's a true truth. That's a true truth. The, the United States yes. The United States takes in more missions. Now, I wonder if it's because some of the United States <laughs> is, is maybe turning away from the truths of the kingdom of God, or maybe it's because it gives mission organisations... Uh, a lot of kudos to have a base in the United States. Maybe it's because that's where a lot of money is that's being poured into mission. So missionaries go there uh, and and, and are able to find support before they go elsewhere. I'm not entirely sure, but that is a true fact. I know it's true because I read it in the QI book and you know that the QI elves do all their research. Very carefully. Just read it this week. Um, Another promise of Jesus here in this passage is that the power of the Holy Spirit will change us. Another promise of Jesus is that the power of the Holy Spirit will change us. Even just from that point of view, that the Holy Spirit will make us into witnesses. The effect of the empowering of the Spirit though, isn't just to somehow put words into our mouths. It's to give us something to witness to. It's not just to give us the words, it's to give us the the cause in the first place. To be able to tell people about what Jesus has done. We are changed by knowing God. And we, through the Spirit, then are able to witness to that change. So it's a change not in just being able to say the words. It's a change in us, in our attitudes, in our values, in who we are. That we are able to tell people about what Jesus has done for us. And lastly, there is the promise that Jesus is coming back Amen. to men in white appear, out of nowhere, and explain that Jesus has been taken to heaven and will return in exactly the same way. And I like that. And although it's not explicitly said, I think it's implied, and I think it's fairly obvious, that these two men clothed in white are angels. They are messengers after all. So just as they announced the birth of Jesus, so they explain who he is at his ascension. I like that there's a completeness to that, a symmetry. Symmetry is pleasing to me. So just as at the incarnation of Jesus, angels appear and announce it, so at Jesus' ascension, angels appear and explain what's going on. And I like, too, that there's not much made of it. Unlike the birth of Jesus, when the people are astounding and astonished and fearful at the appearance of the angels, here... These two men are mentioned only in passing. And I like that because I think now that the disciples have experienced what it's like to live alongside Jesus, to know him. They've lived with the Son of God. Maybe angels aren't such a big deal anymore. And we live now with that same promise, the hope and anticipation that Jesus will return. That Jesus is coming back in the clouds exactly as he went. In glory as he left. Accompanied by angels perhaps. But what I do know, what I do know what I do believe is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ Thanks is God. the Lord Amen. when he returns. I love these promises that God makes in these early chapters of Acts. Promises that the church is built on and can be built on. Promises that we can take hold of as a church and see God build us up into a community that witnesses to the power of Jesus. Locally, nationally, maybe even one day internationally. A power, a promise that empowers church at the Barony to tell others about who we are and what we do and what we know and what we believe. A power that encourages, that makes us brave. A power that's ready to change who we are. A power that responds to Jesus. A power even that makes us living stones being built into the kingdom of God itself. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the promises that you make in scripture. I thank you that we can grasp hold of these promises and be encouraged that we can be emboldened that we can know you and your intentions that we know your values and your agenda that we know the truth of who you are and i thank you father god that you deal with all of that in grace in love i thank you father god that you don't deal with it in condemnation there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus but there is grace and truth and love. Father God, I pray that we would grasp of these promises and allow you to build us up into the women and men that you want us to be. Father God, I pray your blessing on each one of us here tonight. Thank you, Father God, for your word, for your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.